0: Basically, the version my tomorrow version is different than my today version, and you your your, your self betterment is, is basically a really dynamic and it's an ongoing process, which I think goes on for the whole for the you know rest of your life, and it's basically it basically revolves around the experiences that you have and the people you meet and the conversations you have with the people you meet. So it's not just the experiences that, you know, when, when you're under a tough situation and, and you learn from it, but it's also the conversations that you have with other people who might have opposing views and their influence on you that might change your view.
1: My friends and I have been on a crazy journey for the last couple of years, building a company that really was a disguise for building a community. We named ourselves Inertia Network because we wanted to be reminded to never let Inertia own us and to break it whenever we have the chance. Our adventures have led us everywhere from swimming with humpbacks in French Polynesia to having a beer with locals in North Korea, and this podcast is our attempt at sharing conversations with people that inspire us, push boundaries, and embody what it means to break Inertia. My name is TK and I'm one of the co-founders of Inertia Network. I hope you can join me in learning the philosophies, mindsets, and stories of people that live life on their own terms and ultimately guide you in breaking your inertia. Uh, Today, I'm joined by Helmi El-Sayed. He holds the Games World Record for fastest time cycling across Europe. He's walked the entire length of Egypt on foot and is someone I've always known to test his limits. Hi, Helmi. Thanks for joining us. Hey TK How are you Any anytime you're welcome. So stoked to have you with us, man. So I just kind of want to really just jump into this conversation because I feel like we've had a lot of really interesting conversations every time I come to Egypt and meet up with you and I think it would be great to kind of share a little bit about your backstory and like I know you've had aspirations to be the first Egyptian to compete in the Winter Olympics. I kind of wanted to know like where that desire kind of was born from.
0: Yeah, so uh, so basically when I was uh, in uh, university, when I studied in uh, Montreal in Canada. Um, so during my university times there, um, I spent two years there. I transferred out of uh, Cairo for, and I finished my last two years of my degree, my economics degree in Montreal. So while I was there, um, I started cycling uh, to university. I started, you know, engaging in these outdoor activities. Everyone was super outdoorsy in, uh, in, in Canada. And uh, the winter came in, basically, and, you know, you know, as you know, the, the winter in Canada, it's, you know, like six months or five months of the year. So I found everyone kind of into a lot of different things, but I found a lot of people are into cross-country skiing. Uh, and I, I go up, you know, in Montreal, the, the the little hill in the middle of the city, and I'd see people, uh, you know, practicing cross-country skiing on the, it's not slopes, but, you know, these like tracks and, and, and stuff like that. So I was interested. So I, I said, why not give it a shot? Uh, and I was, you know, starting to get into these endurance sports like cycling and running and I did my first winter marathon in Ottawa, the winter man. And, and I was doing like, you know, cycling. I, I cycled half of Italy in the summer before. So I, I wanted to give, you know, those winter endurance activities a shot. Um, and I also heard that, you know, cross-country skiing is one of the most intense endurance sports, if not the most intense endurance sport there there is. So, so I started, you know, um, uh, uh, I bought some new skis and and um, I started practicing on Montreal and I found that I really liked it. And uh, I slowly, slowly I started practicing and, and I found that I could cover, you know, a good deal of distance using uh, using those cross-country skis. I remember one day I did, you know, a, a few kilometers and I'm like, wow, I did a few kilometers on this. And it was like uphills and downhills and like, it was fun, you know, I was in nature and like looking at, you know going through these different parts and like seeing nature and like you know it was just a nice, really nice vibe. At the same time, I had my heart rate up and I, was, I felt I was doing you know a nice, decent activity. So then um, I wanted to do like longer, even longer distances. And at the time, I and I still do. I have this obsession with nature and like what nature has to offer. So like every time in Montreal, like the weather would go down to like negative forty or negative. 41. I'd never experienced these types of temperatures. I'd just go down the street and just, like, feel this temperature because I wanted to feel it, just to know what negative 40 felt like. Uh, that's how much I was interested in, like, Mother Nature, basically. So I was just doing some research, and, and, I, and I found that people would, would actually use their cross-country skis to go to the North Pole and South Pole. So... I, I mean, I have known that no no Egyptian at that time had had, had been to the North Pole. So I started, you know, putting that as a goal that I wanted to be the first Egyptian to go, to reach the North Pole and, and and to use basically cross-country skis to reach the North Pole. Um, because cross-country skis was were used as a transportation method when they were invented. It wasn't always a sport. It was used as a transportation method over deep snow. It's kind of like similar to snowshoes, so the way, the way to, you know, transfer over the skis so you're in sync. Uh, that's the, the origin of cross-country skis. And then they use you know, the skis to go get stuff and go get woods or something and then come back or stuff like that. So anyway, I got in touch with these guys in Norway, uh, and they were organizing this uh, cross-country ski trip across something called the Finnmark Plateau um, in in, uh, in the Finnmark Vida uh, county in Norway. Um, so uh, so they were, you know, organizing the strip. It was a long distance. It was around 130 kilometers. And um, and uh, they were looking for team members to kind of join if you wanted to know, learn about, like, Arctic survival training because the Finnmark Plateau is basically above the Arctic Circle. Uh, so it was basically, you know, doing this really long distance. And at the same time, you know, you're pulling all your own gear, your your, your tents, your sleeping bag, your, your, you know, pots and stuff for... Uh, fuel if we're like making food and food everything and at the same time you know you're you're witnessing these like intense arctic winter temperatures which was also something that i was really interested about and at the same time you also might see the rural royales so it was just a really nice combo for me to kind of like you know go get some winter survival training do some cross-country skiing probably see something like the rural royales which i did, was on my bucket list for so long and and getting to know this these people in this like a, like really, really niche uh, 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 circle of like polar exploration and stuff like that. So Mm -hmm. basically I got in contact with them and the guy over there was organizing this trip was called Burga Usland and he's actually one of the pioneers of of polar travel. Uh, This winter actually he was just in the North Pole again and he and someone called Mike Horn had just reached the North Pole At night, for the second time in history, and they did it the first time, so they're the only two people who have actually stepped foot on the North Pole during the winter months. They're the only two people on Earth who have done that. So, like more people have been to the moon than have been on the North Pole during the winter season. Um, So, anyway, I I went to Norway, met these guys, and um, and he looked over my gear at the time. You know, I was a student in, in in Montreal, so you know, my gear wasn't you know super. Top notch, I had gotten like some like Canadian army mittens and stuff from like the army circle store and like, you know, like, I I just like, you know, gathered some like cheap items basically. Uh, so I had to meet the bull for him to like look over my gear and stuff to make sure that it's, you know, Arctic approved and stuff like that. So he looked over my gear. He's like, yeah, it's going to be fine. Yeah, it's going to be fine. And then basically I went on my way and, you know, with, with, with basically it was, it was a multinational team. It was me, it was a guy from Spain was actually he had a bike with him he was he was training to be the first guy to reach the south pole on a bicycle so wow. it was just a you know there's a yeah there was a british girl there's just a you know mix of, of nationalities and we all just had one thing in common we were just on this trip to basically put ourselves in such a uncomfortable situation basically like sleeping in negative 40 temperatures in a tent and stuff you know i'd wake up in the middle of the tent and like my the, the, the breath my breath would freeze in the tent so it would make like icicles and stuff so I'd wake up and find like lots of icicles above me and and we had to, we'd had we have to like turn on the stove uh, it's like a, basically like a little Bunsen burner and, and we put the pot uh, on it and we take some snow and melt the snow so we can make some water early in the morning once we wake up and then the heat generated by the Bunsen burner inside the tent would then melt the icicles so then it would like drip wow. really really ice cold water on my head so then it would like kind of like you know wake me up basically um so yeah so then you know i i, I did this cross plateau cross-country ski uh, you know mini expedition i finished 130 kilometers completely on foot pulling a a sled with 30 kilograms of gear on it and uh you know i'm like wow i don't think any egyptians is doing this stuff and and I was getting a lot of compliments on my ski t- skiing technique from, like, the Norwegian guides and stuff, like, you know, and they, and they would say, like, Norwegians are born on skis, and they were all complimenting my, um, my skiing technique. So they're saying, yeah, you're, you're actually pretty good and you're doing really well in the uphills and downhills. You have really good technique. And, and, you know, I'm like, then why shouldn't I kind of, like, you know, do this as an actual sport?
1: Going back to Canada, I did
0: a little more training and stuff. Um, and uh, and then slowly it developed for it, like to me like you know I, I bought some roller skis which are basically kind of like cross-country skiing uh, but it's it, on rollerblades so then I could do like some training in the summer as well like when I'd go to Egypt um, so basically I got in contact with um, with a coach in Sweden I, I, I basically you know sent something called the FIS the Fédération Internationale de Ski which is basically kind of like the FIFA of skiing. Uh, I told them, "Hey, I'm from Egypt, and you know, I'm, I've been doing some cross-country skiing, and I, I'd like to compete in some races, and you know, I eventually like to, to you know, reach the Olympics someday, and and you know, but I, I need some more training, I need some more guidance. Like, you know, any trainers, you any know, coaches who you know help people?" And then one of the one of the ladies at the FIS replied back, to me, "She's like, uh, you know, yeah, actually, we do have someone who's." Who's um, specialized in teaching people from, you know, quote unquote, non-traditional ski nations. That's what they called, uh, you know, Egypt, mm-hmm. like ski terms, non-traditional ski nations. Uh, and uh, basically, they put me in contact with the Swedish uh, coach. His name is Uh, Rishkug, uh and uh, you know, he, he had um, basically coached a guy from Peru uh, to to reach the Winter Olympics in cross-country skiing. He, he, yeah, he came in last place, but still he qualified. And I didn't mind, you know, reaching, you know, being, being you know, last place or anything, you know, from Egypt. You know, it's something kind of I learned from scratch. But at least I would qualify and put Egypt into the Winter Olympics for the first time. So anyway, I, I reached, you know, uh, I got in contact with Krister. And, and, you know, he's like, hey, yeah, and he found it really interesting. And he's like, you know, the first step is for you to come to Sweden so we can do some fitness tests on you. And, you know, and, and see if, you know, if we should move further with this. So I found myself going to Sweden and meeting, you know, Krister and, you know, some some other guys from the... Krister was basically the, the Swedish and the ex-Swedish national cross-country ski coach. So he coached the Swedish national team and he also mm-hmm. coached several other different national teams as well. He coached the UK national team, the Australian national team, and the US national team. So I'm, I went to did some fitness tests, he also complimented my technique, he complimented my, my you know, my fitness, he said, yeah, those said he do this. And so that was, that's, you know, the start of my journey with the cross-country ski training. And it also was the start of my journey for like me breaking records with the cycling because it so happened just out of the blue. And that's why, you know, a lot of the philosophy that I believe in is like serendipity, is that Krister had just gotten back from a cross-continental cycling expedition. In the U.S., where he crossed uh, the U.S. continent on bicycle, him and uh, a comedian called Mons Muller, they were doing a show basically, where where you know Mons, you know wanted to show that you know you like you can go from someone who doesn't work out at all and, and basically train yourself to do something super crazy like crossing a continent on bicycle, and then they filmed this for like a little Swedish comedy TV show. Mm-hmm. So anyway, uh, with Krister started my journey with, 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 with the cross-country skiing and also, uh, you know, we, we had that long-distance cycling uh, in common. Uh, so we also bonded over bicycles and later on, uh, two years after, we decided to start the project to, uh, to cross Europe uh, in the fastest time ever in a team. Uh, so, uh, Christian was also with on the team as well as Mons and two others. So yeah, that's how it all started.
1: Well, actually that's a great kind of segue into that Guinness world record because that's a pretty incredible feat to accomplish. And you broke, you beat the record by 12 hours. Yes. Like what was that experience like for you doing it, planning it and then getting t- and actually accomplishing it?
0: Well, you know, in between my cross-country skiing endeavors, you know, I was still interested in, you know, endurance sports. And I'd, I, was all, I was specifically interested in the bicycle because I really love travel. Uh, so I'd use my bicycle to travel, basically. So I did a few long-distance cycling expeditions. So I crossed Europe the first time from Norway to Spain. So I went through Norway, uh, uh, Finland, Sweden, Denmark, uh, Germany, uh, Belgium, uh, Holland. France uh, and then Spain, so I, I got to see so many different countries and you know so many different cities as well. I did that in around two and a half months, so I saw like a total of like seventy-five different cities in Europe during that cycling no. trip of, of two two and a half months, basically seventy-five days. And I just I'd see a different city every day. I'd cycle to a different city every day. So I just saw that as such a really nice way to travel because then I'd see so many different cities and not just, you know, the big commercial, like Barcelona or, you know, these big cities. No, I'd see like mm-hmm. the real kind of like the little villages and the little towns. And like, I really get a, got a taste of every single country, like really authentically with the bicycle, because first of all, the bicycle, you know, you're exposed, you're you're not in a car, you're not separated by a window, you're. You're, all your senses are exposed you know you're you're feeling the wind on your skin you're smelling all the smells the manure the different flowers the you're smelling all the smells from the country and you're feeling all the wind and the heat and the weather and you're seeing everything you're hearing everything so it's such a very sense like you know your your senses are really heightened with the cycling mm-hmm. that's not like you know not to mention the fact that, you know, I'm, I'm doing like kind of like exercise as well. So I'm kind of benefiting my body. And I'm pushing myself to a limit that I never knew that I, hey, I, I just cycled 6,000 karma commas. I didn't know that I could ever do that. So it was just, you know, really, really. Plus, I'd be seeing all these different cities and tasting all these different types of foods and meeting all these different types of people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it was just really, really nice. So then... You know, I switched from doing Europe and then I went to Southeast Asia I did the same thing with Southeast because, you know, Europe, you know, all oh, the roads are really nicely paved and everything. And I'm like, I wanted like a little bit of more of an adventure, you know, kind of like, in you know, a tropical mm. jungle kind of environment where, you know, there's a lot more different challenges like roads, like language, like people, like different foods. Like I wanted, you know, a bit more of a, you know, culture shock. So I chose to go to Southeast Asia. I did Singapore to Vietnam, so I went to like Singapore, Malaysia, Thailand, um, Cambodia, uh, uh, and then Vietnam. Uh, 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 so I went, I saw, also I did, you know, I saw like I think 60 different cities on that trip. Uh, many of them villages, I got to see the locals, I got to taste really authentic Asian food. And, you know, the weather, I got to see, like, freely secluded, amazing beaches that I've never seen in my life. Like, I thought, you know, there was such beautiful beaches. You know, so, <clears throat> and then I did also longer distances and, you know, per day distances. And then I, you know, put, put more pressure on my body. Like, I, I realized I could do bigger and longer distances. I could go for longer. I could go for, I could go faster and, like, I could go even longer and faster on less food. You know, like, I just, you know, realized things about myself that I never, you know, thought was possible. So after that, after doing these, you know, two cross-continental cycling expeditions, I'm like, hey, I, w- I just want to know what's the fastest, you know, time anyone's done kind of something like this. So I started researching records. Um, and then I had I was in Sweden for like some cross-country skiing training at the time. And then I was telling my coach, hey, do you know, you know the record for the second across Europe is so-and-so. Uh, and he's like, really? I think that's pretty breakable and then you, you know kind of did our calculations and stuff and, and we figured that if we average you know around 220 kilometers per day 230 kilometers per day at, the, at that time we have a chance at actually breaking that record mm-hmm. so we're like hey that sounds pretty cool if we're able to break a Guinness World Record for that we all like cycling and it would be a nice project and we can do it for charity and 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 you know test ourselves at the same time and and that's where the, 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 the Guinness World record idea started. And um, and yeah, it was basically built upon, you know, my my experiences, you know, crossing other continents. I was alone when I did my other projects and I was I also had all my gear on my bicycle. Um so it was kind of a different experience wow. than the cycling, but you know, than the like the record because the record was like strictly on speed. We had, you know, a support car with all our you know, gear in, and it was you know we had a documentary filmmaker. It was like really, really organized, and we had sponsors. We had you know proper nutrition. We had sponsors for like protein and pro- sponsors for like hydration, and like it was kind of more like an athletic feat than for like mm-hmm. travel and stuff. Uh, but nevertheless, it still was a really amazing uh, uh, um, uh, experience, even though I didn't you know have have the. the the luxury of, you know, like, going down in each city I reached to and, like, walking around and see because we were all, like, kind of, like, spent from, you know, the days of the day cycling. Mm -hmm. We cycled from, like, 6 in the morning to, like, 8 or 9 p.m. So we basically just have enough time to eat and then sleep and then basically repeat the next day. Uh, So it was a strictly, like, goal-focused, you know, like, kind of, like, hey, we have this goal. And it was really, really, like, military kind of mentality, like, we have this goal. Mm -hmm. Have to, you do it no matter what you know. But my other trips, you know, I I I do like a hundred kilometers a day, and then like I would sit down, relax, go and have a stroll in the town, and find a nice little cafe or a restaurant, and I try some local food. You know, mingle with the locals, and like it was more of a cultural and travel kind of experience. It's kind of two different, uh,
1: two different things. <clears throat> Yeah, so on that note, what you're kind of describing, because that's such an interesting way to travel. Because I think a lot of people are really, it's kind of like um, you say it's very quick. It's it doesn't really leave you much time to really explore a place. But the way that you've described and the the way that you've traveled, especially when you're on your bike, it kind of I'm kind of curious to to, to know if you feel that during those times it really left a mark on you. What, what these experiences kind of have maybe shifted the way that you, your perspective on things.
0: Yeah, definitely, you know, definitely shifted my experience. Every single trip I had shifted my experience, shifted my perspective on, you know, uh, different things, like from my cycling to the walk to, to depending on the location I have been, like, for example, when I was in Asia, it was my second time in Asia. And it just definitely changed my perspective on, on, on you know, I was, I was, much more, you know, like, like thankful and, 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 you know, you know, after the trip, you know, seeing going through Cambodia and like going through these really, really underdeveloped, uh, areas in Asia, uh, it just made me, you know, thankful, uh, uh, for a lot of things and, and, um, made me realize things about myself. Like there's different things I got from it, you know, things that, Hey, I want to help start helping people and Hey, you know, I never knew I could, you know, be comfortable being so long in such an environment. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and that kind of, that's why like my expeditions that I did after I did it, I usually do it for a cause that's not my own growth. So yeah, my own growth is is, is a side effect of that, but it's not necessarily the actual reason I'm doing it. So for the Guinness World Record, we are doing it to raise money for child autism. For the walk across Egypt, we were doing it to raise awareness about, you know, population issues and and gender equality issues and and lots of different issues that that are prevalent in in the south of Egypt. So I'd use, mm-hmm. you know, the attention that I'd get from these endurance feats, and I'd use it to shed light on different uh, uh, um, uh, 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 different uh, problems or different uh, things that I, I want people to start noticing and taking action on.
1: For yourself, you know, I I see your projects, right? And they look, first of all, they're they're incredible. All the, all, all the projects that you talk to me about are pretty incredible. But, you know, they both look, they, they look both mentally, they look as much as mentally taxing as they are physically. From me knowing you and our conversations, you know, a lot of the things that you do seem like they're ingrained with a lot of curiosity, testing limits, and, and seeking to kind of understand yourself. So I kind of wanted to to see like see your take on what what is that philosophy that you have that kind of drives you towards these projects, and what keeps you looking for more. Well, a lot of the
0: philosophy is def is definitely revolved around um, self growth. Um, I don't I I wanna I wanna phrase it in the best way possible, which doesn't you know revolve around you know kind of like being like me 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 or like having mm-hmm. this like only focusing on myself kind of thing. But definitely, I I, I, I I, see that there is value of when you are self-aware about yourself and not necessarily your good things, your bad things as well, your flaws, uh, what you're doing right, what you're doing wrong, that self-awareness and that um, strive for you to be a better version of yourself. Uh, and be- basically... The version my tomorrow version is different than my today version. And mm-hmm. you your 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 self-betterment is, is basically a really dynamic and it's an ongoing process which I think goes on for the whole for the you know rest of your life and it's basically it basically revolves around the experiences that you have and the people you meet and the conversations you have with the people you meet. Mm-hmm. So it's not just the experiences that you know when, when you're under a tough situation and, and you learn from it but it's also the conversations that you have with other people who might have opposing views and mm-hmm. their influence on you that might change your view so mm-hmm. so a lot of the philosophy that revolves around self-betterment and I'm, I'm always striving to to have um, um you know basically an optimal version of myself which i have no idea what that is uh, but Because the optimal version of myself last year is different than the optimal version of myself this year, or what I view Mm -hmm. as the optimal version of myself. So it's always, always changing. It's it's dynamic. It's always, you know. And probably next year, what I think the best version of myself is different than what I've been thinking. What I'm going to be thinking now. It might even happen next month. It's it's just constantly changing, and it depends on all these experiences. Like right now, like this whole, you know, uh, uh, you know. Corona or COVID-19 thing that's going on it's, it's having an effect on people, it's changing their, their outlook, it's changing their perspective on a lot of things so it, you never know what kind of experience is going to hit you to kind of make you think differently or, or have a different perspective on things so, so yeah it's definitely um, <clears throat> yeah, the philosophy is definitely revolved around uh, you know uh, self actualization and self awareness and uh, uh, self discovery uh so uh i definitely you know like these themes and um pretty sure a lot of people like these themes but i just don't want people to feel that it's 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 a very egotistical thing to be just thinking about bettering yourself um so um <clears throat> so that's why i also like to focus on others
1: uh like- see i don't think that choosing to better yourself <clears throat> is a really egotistical thing i think you know Like This is my opinion, of course, but I feel like when you're on the pursuit of trying to make yourself better and trying to improve yourself, you just naturally kind of exude that to the people around you. And it's a a powerful thing to kind of tap into. And I think it's actually, again, my opinion, the opposite of being egotistical when you're trying to wholeheartedly become just a better version of yourself than yesterday. As long as, it's, as long as it's not there to... Uh, as long as you also have, like, baselines, right? Like, you're not trying to hurt other people in that process. But I think rarely is self-betterment, uh, true self-betterment, and is ever attached with harming others. I agree. I agree. But, you know, you kind of touch upon something interesting there. You, you kind of mentioned that talking about... Talking to people that have different opinions than you has really... is, is an important part of kind of the self-growth. And for you... I was. I'm curious to know, like, who are some people that you've met in your life that kind of have been the been that type of person for you, or maybe not um, even have met.
0: Well, there's definitely, you know, in a, a few instances where I've had that. You know, I've met people who had, you know, different uh, ideas. Especially in Egypt, um, in in southern Egypt. You know, I live in Cairo. It's a big, you know, metropolitan city. Uh, and you know, the, the more south you go, the more you you go into little villages, you know, um, of you know, you know, less economic, you know, smaller economic bracket. And it's the people's, people's, um, you know, philosophy on life change uh, as you go outside the city and go into these villages, they have uh, different priorities than you. Um, So definitely talking to a lot of people down there has shifted my perspective and a lot of different things because. So, you know, like before, you know, all these things, sometimes I I think that, you know, my idea on life or my vision on, you know, what life should be like, you know, was the correct, you know, way. And talking to a lot of different people made me kind of realize that there actually is no correct way. And my way is definitely not the correct way. uh, And it's Mm -hmm. definitely not the right way. Um, And it, it just made me more open to listen. Uh, that's something that I've been working on a lot is is listening uh, to to others uh, because you never know what someone might say that might influence your own thoughts or your own habits or your own perspective on life. Um, so 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 yeah. So definitely listening. Uh, I wasn't really good at that, uh, you know, a, a few years ago, uh, and it's something that I've, I've definitely. Worked hard on on, on listening and, and accepting and and actually being open for someone to tell me something that might actually change the way I think um, instead of just thinking that hey the way I'm thinking right now is the correct way and whoever uh, oh, says anything else is, is incorrect. Uh, so um, so yeah so definitely uh, a lot of the people I've met in uh, in southern Egypt in the villages. Um, have changed a lot of my perspective on that.
1: I also think you're just very, you're a very naturally curious person. It seems like everything you do, there's like this desire to kind of see or learn something. I mean, like even with all your Absolutely. projects, like, either whether it's learning about yourself or learning about something, even in our other conversations outside of this podcast of like, when something happens, you like to look into it. It, it seems like, it seems a really, like really foundational to who you are as a person and that, that also is a, such a, it's such an important thing to have. It's almost like a superpower to be super curious because it kind of drives I think, yeah. to do things.
0: I think curiosity and like, I, I, I'd like to use the word exploration, uh, mm-hmm. whether it's exploration of physical space, like, you know, travel and exploring the world or exploration of your mind and your body and exploring yourself uh, uh, or exploring things and, and knowledge and, and, and ideas. Uh, and, and I, I really like exploration. I think it's, it's a very natural, you know, uh, thing that, that, that humans have and ha- have had throughout history. You know, people starting with like, you know, like, you know, the early explorers like Christopher Columbus or, you know, like modern day explorers like James Cook, uh, who, you know, who discovered like, you know, the, the, the French Polynesia and like, You know, even Arctic, modern Arctic explorers who, you know, wanted to be the first people to reach the South Pole and who just ventured into the unknown to kind of give scientific knowledge to people uh, 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 that, you know, humans never had. And even it goes back to the early man who wanted, had that, the nature in them to explore beyond Africa and start walking into Europe. You know, exploration And, and not just that, even, you know, like, People like Newton and, and Einstein and who wanted to explore like beyond Earth and, and know more knowledge and wanted to know how this universe is, is operating. So everything kind of revolves around this exploration theme. Uh, whether you know it's it's with knowledge, you know, or science or medicine, like right now, like you have the researchers, they're exploring different ways of finding a vaccine, everything, everything revolves around exploring. And right now people are in their homes. They're probably exploring themselves more, probably finding out more about themselves, it's probably knowing, starting to know more about what they like, what they don't like, and everything kind of revolves around exploration. And I think exploration is uh, 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 its really natural, you know, even with, like, religion. And, and like, you know, a long time ago, like, people, ha- how they kind of, like, started to explore, like, their own thoughts about how they were here and, started to come up with these different ideas about, you know, the, the you know, the, 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 dawn of like man and, and how man came to be, everything comes from exploration, I think. And it's a really, really, really interesting subject. Uh, so, um, so yeah.
1: I know you're, uh, you're someone that always has, a, another, a project in mind. I'm kind of curious to know what, what's the, once this situation has calmed down a bit globally, what's the next venture that you have lined up that you're super excited for? So, yeah, the next venture,
0: uh, I think maybe I've mentioned that to you before, um, you know, during our random talks, and having mm-hmm. dinner in Cairo. Um, but, uh, I really, you know, I'm interested in, uh, like I said, nature and I've recently been more interested in animals. Um, and you know, I started, you know, you know, when I, when I was in Asia and Europe, you know, I'd be always looking at the flora and fauna and like just kind of like, you know, comparing, hey, this is, you know, these plants don't grow here. Those, the, the, these animals aren't there, there, you know. And now I'm in Egypt. I started looking more inwards and starting to, to want to know more about like the, the natural fauna and flora in Egypt. So during my research about, you know, all the native species in Egypt and stuff, I came across a really interesting article written in the late 90s. Uh, by University of Pennsylvania and uh, al Azhar University here in Egypt. Uh, they did like a joint expedition to basically find this um, rare species of cheetah, which lives in the Egyptian Western Desert. And it had never been spotted, and up, up until this day hasn't has never been photographed. Uh, so they set off to kind of uh, look for it, um, and they managed to find some tracks, and they managed to spot it visually twice. Uh, but they weren't able to take a photograph of it, uh, nor take any you know samples, hair samples, or any stool samples to figure out you know their DNA structure or any or find out exactly what kind of species they are since they live in their desert dwelling, uh, and apparently even they have you know different adaptation techniques than the cheetahs in the uh, in, you know the savanna or like sub-Saharan Africa uh, since they. They eat different things. They they basically ate all the gazelles in the desert that they had to switch their diet to different animals like the hare and the Egyptian jackal, which is kind of like a dog. Um, so basically, no one in Egypt knows anything about these cheetahs. And, you know, when you mention cheetah to any Egyptian or anyone, they, it's not associated with Egypt at all. It's mostly associated with, like, Africa and, you know, sub-Saharan Africa, you know. And mm-hmm. the savannah and stuff—it's not—it's not associated with with the desert. So my next project is actually I want to go into the desert and attempt to track down this cheetah um, mm-hmm. using a, a, a multinational team with you know expert animal tra- big cat trackers and and uh, I want to film this as well uh, uh, to make a little documentary out of it. I think it could be really interesting as well as mm-hmm. contribute to science. Uh, by either finding it or not finding it, and if I find it, then I'd be able to, to um, or hopefully would be able to, you know, find out more about this cheetah and find out exactly what kind of species it is, and and basically um, put some conservation efforts in place uh, to, uh, you know, to uh, to basically protect it. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, that's definitely a project I'm really excited about.
1: So. I mean, all things considering, what when when are you hoping to really get it get it started or get it like cuz I know you've done a lot of research on it and I know that you've done a lot of contacting to people, but like for you, uh is it something that you're just waiting for the right time or is it something like as soon as as soon as there's a green light you're going for it?
0: Yeah, as soon as there's a green light I'm going for it and that green light is coming from basically funding. Uh so uh, it's it's strictly correlated with with funding basically uh I'm, mm-hmm. I'm putting in a lot of effort of trying to raise money for it um mm-hmm. and finding a proper uh, team uh especially you know a director or, or or production house that would be uh interested in, in supporting this idea and um and as soon as as that's in place, it's just a matter of going into the desert and looking for it so um so so yeah, so we're waiting on uh, some
1: okay, so that kind of like leads into my next question. Uh, and I don't know if this is the same if 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 it would be for the same project. But let's just say in this like hypothetical situation, uh, you had unlimited resources, whether it be financial, physical, team wise, whatever, mental. What's that? Is the, is a the cheetah project the one that you'd uh, go for, or is there any other projects that you feel like you would really want to take all those resources into?
0: Yeah, well, definitely that Cheetah project is one of them, and yeah, one project that's always been on my mind, um, I have a few, actually, Uh, there's one where I actually want to cross each continent on bicycle, so I crossed Europe already on record time, I want to break that record for each continent, basically for South America, for for Asia, for Australia, I want to cross all these continents in record time on bicycle, Um, that's one project, and then that would lead on uh, into me switching from you know cycling as in the form of endurance. I, I want to do some rowing, so one of the one actually there's yeah two projects I have. I, I want to cross um, first. I want to cross the Red Sea uh, on in a row, and that's actually one of the projects that I'm working on concurrently with the Cheetah, and, and I've already we already have a team for that, and and we basically want to cross the Red Sea. Uh, it's never been crossed through via row. Uh, but an interesting, interesting thing we want to do is is we've been doing a lot of research about ancient Egyptian uh, vessels uh, and how the ancient Egyptians used used you know boats and and, and their, their their you know boating knowledge to to travel and get resources and stuff. So we wanted to build an exact replica of an ancient Egyptian rowing boat, and we wanted to use that you know in, and even. We we're not gonna use any GPSs or anything. We're gonna use exactly the same techniques so even the rope that they used from you know these plants that grow by the Nile, they would weave them in together and use them as ropes. So we, we're gonna do everything exactly as they did it, and we'd navigate using the stars exactly like they did. So we want to do, do it exactly how they did it, um, and cross the Red Sea with that boat uh, and hopefully set a Guinness World record. So that's one project, and I also wanna that would hopefully evolve into eventually me, uh, eventually crossing the uh, one of the oceans, probably the Atlantic or the Pacific, on row, and then com combine the cycle, the continental cycling and the 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 the, the ocean rowing. Then I I I want to circumnavigate the globe via human power. So then I'd want to cycle across the continent. Basically, I'd go around the equator. or, or, or basically circumnavigate the, the Earth. And, and, you know, Guinness has some parameters for circumnavigations where you have to do at least the distance, cover at least the distance of the equator. Uh, so that's the distance of the Earth in its widest part. Uh, so you can choose to, you know, travel up and then down and then up or whatever, but we have to at least cover the distance of the equator. And then you have to go through... Uh, antipodal points, uh, so you have to cross the Tropic of Capricorn and you have to cross the Tropic of Cancer. Uh, so you kind of have to to circumnavigate the Earth kind of like in a in a wave kind of way. Uh, so I want to do that on my bicycle across the continents, and then once I reach a ocean, I then row across the ocean, uh, and then I reach some land and then cycle, and then reach an ocean and then I row. So and then I circumnavigate the whole globe under human power. That's if I have unlimited resources.
1: That's very, very important. Dude, you got, you just got some, like, you have some ideas that are just damn wild. I don't, you know, every, you know, you know, we've talked about a lot of these already, but every time I hear it, it's just, all, it's always, it's always like such a, like, damn, dude. You're, I, I respect it. And I'm like, man, I, I'm, I was so excited for you and like, be so excited to just follow you along on your journey. (laughs) So I got one last question for you. We kind of have this saying in our, in our company, we call it break your inertia, which basically means to challenge status quo, move out of autopilot and, and in essence, uh, live more consciously. So, so my question to you is how have you broken your inertia?
0: Well, you know, how, I, well if you had met me maybe like you know ten years ago or or you know when i was in college or even before and you know i, I was i was never into sports i actually had I had c's you know i was, I was getting you know c's and PE and you know i was never really an athletic person or i don't i' don't even, i don't still think an athletic person like i kind of more you know lean towards more of kind of like you know i think more like a, you know, soldier kind of thing, no more of like an athlete, you know, Olympic athlete or anything, more of like a soldier. But yeah, I've I've definitely, you know, broken my inertia or, you know, I think I broke my inertia, I don't know, I can't really judge myself, but, um, you know, I feel like I've moved past the, you know, my comfort zone, basically, I've I've moved past that, you know, circle where I was just kind of like moving in. Uh, thinking this this is me, this is my life, and this is how I am going to be, and I moved kind of out of that and, and became into in a different circle where I'm still moving into that one, and I think I'm going to move out of that circle and go into another one, and, and that's kind of how you're breaking your inertia. It's just you're kind of constantly moving from one circle into the next and thinking that's your boundary, and then you're eventually in a, in a big enough circle that you're just kind of going around and it has no boundary, and and you're just kind of learning more about yourself and 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 just you know kind of contributing uh, to yourself and to society in a in a way that's uh, that's positive and impactful. Whether it's through you know in, inspiring people with with you know doing you know some accomplishments or whether it's through business or it's just impacting, uh, having a, a positive impact on, on, on people.
1: Uh, so, um, yeah, that's, I think. Well, man, thanks again for uh, taking the time. I'm always super stoked to talk to you and always hear what's going on in your life. And it's always such a fun time. It's a good time just to hear hear what you, what you have planned next.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, it was fun talking to you, TK. All right, man. Thanks for joining. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning into the Inertia Network podcast. If you like what you heard, come check out our website, Inertianetwork.com, or follow us on Instagram at Inertia Network, so you can see what our journey has looked like. Hope we can continue on this adventure together, have some meaningful conversations, and break our inertia. See you next week.